0: Good morning, Austin Oaks. If you're a guest with us this morning, welcome. Glad that you're here. Your name is Branzisky, the lead pastor at Oaks Church. And yes, let me just get it out of the way. I have glasses. They're new, and I don't like them. Uh, but let's just put it this way. I figured it's better to finally bite the bullet than to not see while driving on 290. And so, and plus, I was, like, getting, like, migraines and stuff. And so I went to the optometrist, and <laughs> I still feel, like, slightly offended by this statement. The guy looked... He goes, and he was a younger guy, younger than me. It's, it's weird to be, be at a stage of life where you can start saying that about people. But nonetheless, he goes, Brandon, you have old man eyes. And I was just like, what does that mean? Like, that, that's just insulting. Like, not just to me, but to everyone else. And so yes, I got bifocals now. So yeah, yeah, there we go. There we have it. Um, yeah. So, So I I feel like, uh, we won't go there. Um, That's not what we're talking about this morning. Anywho, seriously glad that you're here. Hey, letting you know now, now I can see if you're sleeping. So let's just not do that. Um, I will call you out just because I can see. Um, Really, I'm excited for the next five weeks here as a church. Uh, And and because these five weeks are going to be a formative season for us as a church. We're going to unpack for you what we're calling our mission mandate, which is a contextualized version of the Great Commission, but what's specific for us as a church. So the next four weeks, we're going to unpack certain components or elements of the mission mandate. And on the fifth week, we're going to have this question of what does five years look like from now at Austin Oaks Church. And so there's going to be specific things that we're going to be striving for as a church in light of this mandate that we believe that God has given us as a church. And so um, I want to just throw this up real quick so that way you kind of get a feel for what our mandate is, okay? We are going to be about saturating Austin, Texas with the gospel, like this is a very intentional effort on our end, right? And so think about it, when, when a, a, a certain lawn, let's just say a lawn gets saturated with water, it eventually just starts to spread out and its influence is there. But what we're gonna discover is this is really our heartbeat and call as a church. And we want to saturate the area with the gospel of Jesus. And as we do that, we want to develop disciples and produce authentic leaders. And we're hoping that they would start to go, I'm gonna live intentionally, for Jesus. Now that's the key word that's wrapping this whole thing up is intentionally. And that's why I love how we're phrasing this series: no accident, living intentionally for Jesus. Because if we were honest with ourselves, telling people about Jesus doesn't happen accidentally. Discipleship doesn't happen accidentally. Producing leaders doesn't happen accidentally. Sending people out doesn't happen accidentally. It has to be an intentional effort as the local church. And so that's what we're striving for. okay? We don't want to be a church of just really good intentions where we just talk about these things and talk about these things, but we want to be people who live intentionally with the gospel of Jesus. Now 2019 was an amazing year for us as a church. In fact, um, I've been telling the first two services that really the last three and a half years of Austin Oaks has been a season of transition from Pastor Rob Harrell or Pastor Emeritus transitioning out of a senior pastor role from 26 years to a season of an interim pastor to a season of a new guy, uh, which, you know, I'm the new guy. And just, if you don't know, and then that new guy making certain changes over the last two years. And if we were honest, some of these changes were good and some of these changes were hard, right? But we we still seen God's faithfulness in the midst of that. So in 2019, like for instance, we saw our church grow by 20% in small groups, okay? Like, that's phenomenal, okay? That means last year, and last year alone, we went from 52% of our church, 52% of all of Austin Oaks Church being in a group, to 72%. Like, I look at that, and I go, that's a move of God. That's, that's God stirring in the hearts of his people, Thirteen people gave new professions of faith in Jesus, which which is really exciting. Twenty-five were baptized, right? We could go on and on and on. We started to really sense the Lord's favor in the last couple months. One of the things that um, in my first two years here, people kept asking me, Brandon, so what's the vision for the church? Where are we going with the church? And my answer was, I don't know. I have no idea yet. Because every time I would pray and ask the Lord, it just felt like he just kept putting on my heart, love me. Fall in love with me right? And God got our hearts. I'm so convinced of that. We started to see some things happen in November and December that are indicators of God getting our hearts, specifically an outpour of generosity. We stood up to the the challenge of eliminating our debt in five weeks. We did it right? Like God just moved in our hearts. We poured out generosity at the Africa uh, Kids Choir, the Africa New Life. I mean, we, we gave out in generosity, but we're also seeing God do a lot of things in our midst. And I look at that, I'm like, the best is yet to come. We want to celebrate that, but there's so much more that the Lord would have for us as a church. And that's why this series is going to be so good for us, just to kind of go, what is our focus as a church for the next five years? Generally speaking, saturating the area with the gospel, developing disciples, producing authentic leaders who live intentionally for Jesus. And there's going to be a five-year plan that we're going to tell you in five weeks from now. You're not going to want to miss that. I'm going to encourage you to be here, okay? So I want you to get used to a phrase that I'm going to say often. Intentional, not accidental. Intentional, not accidental. We have to understand the reality. Gospel saturation doesn't happen accidentally. Discipleship doesn't happen accidentally. Authentic leadership doesn't happen authentically. A healthy marriage doesn't happen accidentally. Good parenting doesn't happen accidentally. You don't lose weight accidentally. Generosity, like you you get what I'm saying. It takes intentionality. We are intentional in some areas and in some areas we're not. And we have good aspirations and good thoughts and good intentions in certain areas. But the church cannot be accidental in these areas. We just cannot. And so what I want to encourage you to do is just pray with me as we come before the Lord this morning and asking him to grab our hearts this morning. Father, I ask that this morning you would be our teacher, our guide. Lord, would you peel back the layers of our heart and help us to see ourselves. Help us to see ourselves in the light of your grace. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see Austin Oaks Church in light of your grace. But Lord, more than anything, I am just praying that we would walk out of here with your Spirit equipping us and empowering us to see people the way you see people. Lord, I pray that every single person in this room as we walk out of here realizes the call and the privilege to follow you, and the responsibility that comes with that. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, this, this probably doesn't need to be said, but I, I just have to. Um, I'm a huge Chicago Bears fan, okay? And so this intro that I'm going to share with you is one of great pain and consternation for me. So if there are any Chicago Bear fans in this room, please accept my apology for what I'm about to share. You guys are like, that was dumb. Why'd you do that? I'm just saying. 1961. 1961, the 38 members of the Green Bay Packers, there, now you understand, football team, they were gathered together for the first day of training camp. The previous season, you see, the Green Bay Packers, they made it to the championship game, and they had a demanding lead. They, they, They were crushing They were crushing the Philadelphia Eagles, and then all of a sudden in the fourth quarter, something happened. They let up the gas pedal. I don't know what it was, but they ended up squandering the lead, and they lost the championship game. So that whole offseason, these 38 players of the Green Bay Packers spent the entire offseason reflecting on the agony of that defeat. They could have been world champions, but they blew it at the end. And so they were determined to go into training camp with a zeal and a fervency to train harder, to study more, to get better, so that it wouldn't happen again. So the first day of training camp in 1961, in in the fall, a guy walks into the locker room to address these 38 professional football players. These 38 professional football players who know the game so well that they can make it to the championship game. This man, by the name of Vince Lombardi, walks into the locker room. You can almost hear the, it's just silent in there because this guy commands a presence. He walks in, he grabs a football, and he holds it up in front of his team. He says, gentlemen, this is a football. And the team looked at him in great astonishment like, "Uh, yeah, we we know it's a football. But see, this was the genius of Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi in that offseason knew that something happened, that the team drifted away from the fundamentals of the game, that he went all the way back to square one. He assumed that the players that he had in that locker room knew nothing about football. It was a blank slate and wanted to start From scratch, from ground zero. So he said, Gentlemen, this is a football. And from there on in training camp, he taught them the basics of tackling, the basics of running, the basics of a rush, the basics of defense, over and over. And they started with learning the very first play on page one of the playbook. That was their offseason. And that was the genius of Vince Lombardi. That football team, those 38 players, They went on to win the national championship game in commanding form. They beat the New York Giants 27 to 0 and became world champions. In fact, Vince Lombardi never had another losing season because every season since then, he committed to himself at the beginning of every training camp, I'm going back to the basics. I'm going to teach my team this is a football. We're never moving beyond the basics of the game. And this is what made Vince Lombardi one of the most iconic and uh, popular and most successful coaches in all football. In fact, right, the Super Bowl trophy is named after him. And what we want to do in these five weeks is basically say to the church, church, this is a football. This is a church. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes we can drift from the basic tenets of being a church. We can get ourselves so cluttered and so distracted and so sophisticated and so many things that we're going to get a little bit upset about the lights or the sound or the way the building looks and all these things and forget about the basics of the mission of being the church of Jesus Christ. And so what we're doing in these five weeks is we're coming back together and we're just simply saying, this is church. We're going to look at the heartbeat of the local church that Jesus has designed. Because quite frankly, the church doesn't exist unto itself. Jesus had a mission, and so therefore, he created a church to be the vehicle of advancing and succeeding in that mission. And that's why We want to be a church that saturates Austin, Texas with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That means our local spheres of influence. That means our backyards. That means our schools, our places of work, our homes, our families. We want them to know Jesus. And as we do that, we need to intentionally pour our lives into those people to develop them as disciples. To become like we are because we are following Jesus. And we need to be intentional and develop leaders with a different mindset, a different heart, one that reflects Jesus as we go out and spread and as we grow. We're going to need leaders and we want them to live intentionally for Jesus. Folks, the reality, we just need to be honest about this, is that it's so easy to become accidental. So easy. In all of our aspects of our life, it's easy just to drift right into things happening and then just have good intentions of the things that you know you should be intentional on. It is no different in the church. The church needs to be laser-focused on its mandate. So one of the things that I, I like to do is I like to study statistics. And so when I was in college, I was a finance guy with some statistics in my in my degree that I was going after. And um, and I know every time we talk about statistics, some people are like, oh, what do these numbers mean? That's the big deal. After all, 58% of all statistics are just made up anyways, right? <laughs> pity me. Come on, pity me. That was the, see, there's a book you don't know that they give you in seminary called Lame Pastor Jokes. Like, I'm just pulling them out from there, okay? And so, it's, but it's like, I these these statistics because they do show us trends that shows things that are happening, not just presently, but over a period of time. And so I like to look at things that are happening globally within Christianity and the church and and within the states and within Texas and Austin. And so uh, LifeWay, they just came out with this pretty robust study that basically you could say is like the state of the union of the church. And some of the numbers that are in there are really shocking In fact, I would say it's exactly the reason why we need a Vince Lombardi moment and just go, this is a church. We need to strip it down and come back to the basics. They've seen the trend, and if the trends hold true, by the end of 2020, get this, by the end of 2020, 55,000 churches in America will shut their doors. That's a lot. Average attendance on a Sunday morning will move from 17% to 14%. 17% was already historic lows in America. 14% is just showing you this downward trend. In fact, we see this more and more and more, especially with those who are 38 years and younger, the millennials and Gen Z. They're marking off in religious preference the box called nuns. I don't have a religious preference. And so what we're discovering is that we live in a post-Christian society. Like, the values of church and Christianity just are not a prominent value anymore in our culture, and the church needs to realize that. Like, the day of people coming into the church on their own to look for answers or hope, they're gone. They're just not happening. But there is good news. 20% of churches in America have seen growth, okay? So, and some people are like, well, you know, numbers are just numbers. Yes, they are. But numbers are people and every person has a story and every person needs to hear about Jesus. And the size of a church or the growth of a church doesn't indicate success. Discipleship does. I get all of that. But listen, 20% of all the churches have grown in 2019. And, and praise the Lord. Austin Oaks Church was one of those churches, okay? Like, I love that. But here, here's the part that, that shook me. Since there's so many churches that are closing, Those people who were once part of those churches are looking for other churches. And so 95% of all church growth came from church transfer. 95%. That's that's not just simply because churches were closed. and It is not just simply because people moved or there's a relocation. All of those things are part and parcel of church. Absolutely but it's also because there are Christians who are going, I don't like this church, I'm hopping over here, and I don't like this church, and I'm hopping over here. And what's happening within a church in America is that people are fighting for bigger slices of a shrinking pie. 4% of all church growth are just people who are just going to church. They're not necessarily a Christian, nor are they antagonistic to the church, they're just coming. All of church growth, 1% of church growth that happened in 2019 came from new professions of faith, 1%. When we measure our statistics at Austin Oaks Church, we grew by 17% on that side. Praise the Lord. This tells me something, right? Now, I understand, okay? Like, I know, like, it's easy for people to go, yeah, but, yeah, but, Brandon, yeah, but... We can't control conversions. Like, we can't do that. We can't make anybody say yes to Jesus. We, we can't do that. All we can do is produce an environment that makes Jesus front and center for people to see the beauty and the marvel of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's all we can do. We can pray for God to open doors. We can move into relationships to tell people about Jesus, to witness to people about Jesus. We have a responsibility to play, but yes, the Lord is the one that does that, and he honors those churches or those people who take on that responsibility to witness. Absolutely. But here's why this is astonishing. In this study, they did in all the churches of people who call themselves evangelicals, 90% Ninety percent of all those who were part of this study admitted that they never shared their faith. Ninety percent. I read that, I go, how can they call themselves evangelicals? Like the word evangelical means I proclaim good news. And when we look what's happening generationally, there's a massive gap. The game has changed. If, if people aren't coming into the church, who's going to go out to those folks to tell them about Jesus? Who's going to do it? In Matthew chapter 9, we get a glimpse of Jesus' heart. Okay. Now, as I read this, I just want to encourage you, when you read your Bible, don't fly through it so fast and just go, oh, I read the Bible, check. Slow down, notice certain words. Look at this. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Look at this. When he saw the crowds, notice that, underline that word. When he saw the crowds, Jesus saw people. He saw people. He's going out in all these other villages and he's seeing these people. And how is he seeing them? He's seeing them as people who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They need Jesus. My question every time I read this is how do I see people outside of these walls? How do I see my neighbors? How do I see my colleagues? How do I see my classmates? Am I seeing people for who they really are? And for those of us who have believed in Jesus, like we've got to understand that people who aren't in a relationship with Jesus Christ are harassed and helpless, wandering sheep without a shepherd. And this, this perspective and how he saw people, it moved him. He had compassion. It was a guttural response inside of him. It was almost like this angst. He's like, oh my goodness, there's so many people. And it moved him. And he, then he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. Folks, we live in the fastest growing city in America. The harvest is plentiful. The nations are coming to Austin. The harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. And I love what Jesus said. And again, notice the words. Therefore, pray earnestly. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Guys, pray earnestly. Earnestly, pray with passion, pray with fervor, almost like make this number one, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out workers. I'm here to tell you this morning, you are an answer to that prayer. Like I I need you to go, whoa, you are a worker in this field. God has called you in your neighborhood at such a time as this. The place you work at such a time as this. Your schools at such a time as this. You are that laborer in that field. If we don't go, who will? We have this responsibility, and it's an honor to be an ambassador of Jesus, to tell people about the truth of the gospel, but not just like the objective truth, but what he has done in my life. Charles Spurgeon, one of his quotes that that just rocks me to my core, but if you think about it, it's absolutely true. In one of his sermons on evangelism, he said, listen, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Every time I read that, I'm like, ha. Ah. If you read between the lines, he's saying it's like, if you say you're a Christian and if you're not a missionary, you're probably not a Christian. Because to follow Jesus is to understand that the very DNA of following Jesus is to live sent. You are a sent one. The word missionary is not in the Bible. We get the word missionary from certain words in the Greek and even in the Latin, but it's not there because it's assumed that as we follow Jesus, we understand that our mandate to follow him is to witness and to make disciples. Like We need to understand that aspect of our calling. John 20, 21, Jesus said to them again, before he you, you know, took off, be, be with you as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So what I want to do this morning is I want us to look at the letter of Acts, the very book that shows us the movement and the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. And I want us to see the simplicity of stripping everything down to its basics and go, church, this is a football. This is what we need to see. So if you got a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Again, like, I, I love simple things. I just, I just absolutely love it. Someone said, Brandon, you look smarter with your glasses. I said, looks are deceiving. Okay? I, I love simple things. Acts. This whole letter is to describe the acts of the Holy Spirit through his church. What is the church to be about? It's about this letter right here. Luke was the author of Acts. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, which was volume one. Acts, he wrote, which is kind of like volume two. So I'm going to read the first five verses for us. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. In other words, he's reminding, us, like, hey, Theophilus, um, volume one is all about Jesus. Like I'm t- We remember, if you talk, if you remember reading it, we talked about who Jesus was, what he came to do, how he developed disciples and how he sent them out, all this kind of stuff. Now, look at verse three. Like these, these are fun. He presented himself alive. Like you just can't read past that. Like there was not another person on this planet that died on the cross, conquered death and resurrected, and presented himself alive for forty days, speaking about the kingdom of God. Like, you got to imagine being a disciple in this moment, right? Who, like, invested three years of their lives, put their hopes and dreams and aspirations in Jesus, that he was indeed the Messiah, thinking that he will indeed build the kingdom of God and restore the glory of Israel. He died on the cross. And we know that when he died on the cross, all their hopes and dreams and aspirations died with him. And they forgot that Jesus said he would come back. But now he's back from the dead. He can walk through walls. Right? Like, imagine this. Like, imagine seeing a resurrected, you know, the Son of God in your midst. He's like, look at the proofs. This is who I am. Right? And all of a sudden, they're like, oh my goodness, look what we could do. He presented himself alive. And Jesus said to them, I want you to stay in Jerusalem for the promise and wait for the promise of the Father, which you heard from me, saying, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. Now, verse 6. And when they had come together, they asked, Lord, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Like, of course they would be excited about this. Like, what else would he do? He just came back from the dead. It's going to happen. He's going to put his throne up and Rome's going to get out of here. They're not thinking about a spiritual kingdom. They're thinking about a political kingdom, restoring the, the kingship of Israel again. And, and definitely implied in there, they're also go, we're going to have seats of authority and power and all this kind of stuff. So Jesus, tell us what our roles are. Like like they're just excited and they're so missing it. For three years, Jesus had to kind of realign their focus saying it's not about that. It's about this kingdom. And now Jesus resurrected in front of them and they can't move on from it. Are you now going to restore the kingdom? Look at what Jesus said. It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. In other words, Don't worry about it. Don't focus on that. that. That's not your concern. But rather, but you will receive power. Like that. That's such a good word. You will receive power. Like right now, if you believe in Jesus, this power of the Holy Spirit is in you right now. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He gone. That's it. Like imagine that conversation. Like, Jesus, will you now do this? We've waited for this moment. We waited for you to establish your kingdom. You obviously have all the power because you resurrected, and that's amazing. So come on, Jesus, let's go. But Jesus was just like, stop talking about things that don't matter. Let's get back to the basics. Boys, this is a football. This isn't new to them. He already told them these things, but they're not seeing it again. But I want to give you power. Like, like, like this is funny. Maybe it's not funny. It's funny to me, maybe not funny to you. When people come up to me and they want to give me their, their conspiracy theories or speculations about the end times, because people don't do that. Like, you know, like, I, I believe that in, in six months, Jesus is coming because of this and this and this and this and this and this. I always go back to this passage. I'm like, Jesus said, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons of the Father, but you will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you because there's something for you to do instead of worrying about that. He will come again, make no mistake, but you have a mission, so get on that. Like this is what he's getting to. He's like, listen, you're going to have power from the Holy Spirit. This word power is a big deal. In fact, it's one of those components that can be really fuzzy to understand as we think about the Holy Spirit because there's so many people that talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. And we always think about the miraculous. Like, the power of the Holy Spirit are like signs and wonders and all these things. And, but we got to understand, like, if signs and wonders happened, their purpose is to point people to Jesus. So don't miss the connection when Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you in power, then you will be my witnesses. There is a specific connection to the power of the Holy Spirit that was for the point of being a witness for Jesus. So yeah, sometimes signs and wonders and miracles and all those things will happen through the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's not to be in awe of the miracle or the sign of wonder. It is to point to Jesus. 97% of all the miracles and signs and wonders in Acts happened outside of the church gathering to validate the gospel. Jesus was so excited to go to the Father because of the Holy Spirit. Like John 14 He's telling his disciples, like, if you believe in me, you're going to have the Holy Spirit. And, and, like, this is one of those things where I read, I'm like, there's no way. But he goes, and you're going to do greater things than me. And every time I read that, I'm like, Jesus, you don't know who you're talking to. Right? Like, greater things? Like, what is what is greater things? Like, what are we talking about? Like, I can't walk on water. I I, I can't do any of that. He's not talking about the miracles. He's not talking about the signs and wonders, which is what a lot of people start to say. That's what he's talking about. No, he's talking about the expanse of the mission. You will do greater things, aka you will reach more people than I can if I stay here. Because if I go to the Father, the Holy Spirit will come, and then you'll do greater things. In other words, you will be able to reach those people Think again of Matthew 9. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion. And he said, pray for the Lord of the harvest to send workers. Why? Because you need to, to cultivate the harvest. In John 16, he tells his disciples, it's for your good that I go to the Father. Which I'm like, I, I think it's pretty good, Jesus, that you're right here. Like, Because if I'm hungry, you can you know multiply something and I could eat. Like you could just go, boop, something's done. But he's like, no, it's good for you that I go to the Father because if I go to the Father, I'll send the Spirit. He was excited about it. So the disciples, the apostles now at the Mount of Olives in this moment, they're like, are you going to restore the kingdom? And Jesus is like, don't focus on that. But you're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit when he comes upon you. And when he does, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Folks, we need to understand that to follow Jesus means you're a witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. To follow Jesus means that you are a witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are no exemptions to this. Every single person who says Jesus is my Lord and Savior you are a witness to the gospel you yeah, have a brand evangelism isn't my gift so i don't evangelize because it's not my gift folks listen compassion isn't my gift but that doesn't give me the right to be a jerk just because it isn't your gift doesn't mean you don't have the responsibility we all have the responsibility Just some people are really gifted and empowered specifically that way. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a witness. But what's a witness? What does a witness do? Think of a court case for a moment. When they get up in the stand, all they do is they tell what they've seen and heard, they just tell the facts. They're not responsible for proving innocence or guilt. They're not responsible for trying to persuade the jury or the judge. In fact, as uh, Nima even said to me, as to think about this, I was like, ooh, this is good. He's like, the witnesses aren't the jury or the judge either. Witnesses aren't the ones to decide if someone is guilty or not either. They're just to tell the facts. So as a witness, we just tell people the objective truth of the gospel. Jesus is the Son of God who took on flesh. He left heaven to come here make a way for us because we were sinned we were dead in our sins lost he so loved that he came and he died on the cross for our sins so that there's a way to the father and not only that he conquered death in the grave so that way we could live forever and all he said asked us to do is to receive him not a program not a club not a system but a person a relationship with the living god who offers us eternal life not just in the future but now Because if you don't, the reality is you're going to live a life separated from God forever, and that's what the Bible calls hell. I hate hell. I know you hate hell, but that's the reality. Now, can I tell you what Jesus has done in my life? Because that's one thing. That's truth. But let me tell you how it's changed me. That's a witness. You're not responsible for the outcome. Folks, that's one of the reasons why I shy away from evangelism, because it terrifies me, because I always feel like I'm failing. Like, they didn't sign the dotted line. I did something on a napkin. I did the cross thing, but they didn't sign anything. They didn't pray the prayers. I'm not going to do it anymore. Well, that's convenient. We witness, we tell people about Jesus. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. How do you think the disciples heard that? Like, we, we, when we do like mission conferences or mission themed things, we, we throw it like, yes, we need to go to our Jerusalem and our Judea and our Samaria and our ends of the earth. And we have these concentric circles about our spheres of influence. But it's like, I think so often we fail to remember or even to experience what those disciples felt when they heard this. Remember, Jesus said, You can't witness unless you really get the power of the Holy Spirit because you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. How do you think the disciples heard that? Jerusalem, well, you mean the place that wants to kill you and us? Oh, they did kill you, but you came back. They want to kill us. A hostile ground. Oh, you mean my family that doesn't want to hear anything about Jesus, who think I'm, I'm a freak as it is? You mean my colleague, my neighbor, my co-worker, who is anti-Christian? Like, you want me to witness to that person? Jesus is like, Yeah. You're going to have power from the Holy Spirit to witness. Then to Judea and then to Samaria. Jewish people didn't like Samaritans. They took the long way around. They wouldn't go through it. They considered them half-breeds. A lot of racial profiling happened in there. Jesus is like, yep, you're going to be a witness in Samaria. And then to the ends of the earth. And we go, oh, the globe, the whole world, yes. In some aspects, but when they heard it, the ends of the earth, as they understood it, was the Roman Empire. Oh, so Jesus, you're telling me to be a witness in a hostile area to Judea, to spread it out to a place, to a people we don't like or don't want to associate with, and then to the empire that we absolutely hate? You want us to do that? Yep. And you're going to do it only because of the power of the Holy Spirit is going to be in you. Friends, this is a football. Verse nine. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Imagine what that was like. Jesus just drops this bomb, and all of a sudden you're just like, "Where's he going?" <laughs> like, like literally, like what was that like? Like, he gone? Like, is he coming back? Is he bringing someone with him? What? Like, what's going on? And I'm sure they just stood in amazement. How could you not? But I'm sure as the moments passed, the weight of what Jesus just said is probably sitting on them. And they're just sitting there. And here's my favorite part of this whole story, verse 10. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, presumed to be angels, and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking to heaven? I don't know, because he just went up, right? Like, why do you stand there looking? This Jesus who was taken up into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And I read that, it's almost as if like the angels are saying, hey guys, what are you doing? What are you looking at? He told you he's coming back. Didn't he tell you to do something? Come on. Like he had to shake him out of that moment. Which is so true. We can be caught in these moments where we're like, oh yeah, I need, I need to. How? how? Just like, he'll come back. And this ascension, this piece of like what Jesus did is powerful for them. Because it served as a reminder that he went up to heaven and now he sits at the right hand of the Father. And as he sits at the right hand of the Father, he is the king. He's interceding on behalf of me and the church. And not only that, because he said if he goes to the Father, he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And so that gave him an empowerment and a passion, but not only that, an urgency for the mission to be fulfilled because the angel said, as he went, he's coming back. He is coming back. You have a mission. Get to it. That was the call. And I know, I know, I know, I know how easy it is to go, but Brandon, I'm not a Peter, I'm not a Paul, I'm not a pastor, I'm not one of the big players in the church listen, I want to show you something. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Saul approved the execution, stoning of Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. Why? Oh, because they're witnessing about Jesus and people are wanting to kill them. Want to sign up? In Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Oh, didn't Jesus say that you got to go up? What does that say? Come on. Except the apostles. So, who went into Judea and Samaria? Lay people. Not the big shots. In fact, some scholars would say the big shots were too um, caught up in Jerusalem. They go into Samaria. In fact, we see this story as you keep reading Acts 8. A guy named Philip, who was just a layperson, who was discipled, who heard about Jesus Christ, gave his life to the Lord, goes to Samaria, and God uses him in Samaria to unleash a revival. People in Samaria are becoming Christians, right? And so news gets back to Jerusalem, and Peter, and I can't remember the other guy, hears about it, and they have to go see it. And so they go to the Samaria and they're astonished that God would do this to them and the Holy Spirit would come and they're even more astonished. And then Philip, this normal average Joe of a guy, nothing special to him, just the fact that he wants to be a sense one to honor Jesus. The angel taps and he says, hey, I want you now to go to the road down to Gaza. So he goes. He has no idea why. He goes down this hot desert treacherous road. He goes there and all of a sudden he sees his caravan at a distance and all of a sudden the Spirit prompted him on the inside. We don't know if it was a little nudging, a little, should I go to that? We don't know, but all we know is he went, okay. He rants to the caravan, discovers that it's a royal official, an Ethiopian eunuch of the queen of Ethiopia. And God miraculously set this one up. This Ethiopian went to Jerusalem in search of God, goes there, can't understand what's happening. Obviously, he's wealthy because he has a scroll of Isaiah 53, and he's reading it. And as Philip was up by the the carriage, he hears him reading Isaiah 53. And Philip just goes, this is how easy witnessing is. He just goes, do you know what you're reading? That was it. And the Ethiopian goes, How can I, unless someone tells me? If Philip goes, I know a guy. And he goes, let, let me let me tell you. Can I tell you? And he tells him about Jesus and what happened in Jerusalem. And this Ethiopian gives his life to the Lord, and in that moment he gets baptized. If Philip was accidental, it wouldn't have happened. But he was intentional. And so this is where I want to give you just three things to think about as you walk out of here and go, how can I do this? First, be in conversation with the Holy Spirit. I want to make a promise to you. If you ask the Lord to prepare a gospel conversation with someone, I'm willing to bet he will do it. Often, we just don't ask. And if he does, if we get that little nudging or that prompting that we should go to someone or talk to someone or be by someone, we write it off as nothing. We're like, I don't, I don't There wasn't a the banner from heaven. There wasn't an angel or things. I, don't just, I just don't want to do it. I won't share. And I'm just going to choose to be a coward instead. I hate to say that word, but that's the reality. It's either we're being cowardly or we're just simply being selfish. We just don't want to. Be in conversation with the Spirit. Ask Him. When you get little nudges, like maybe I should talk to so-and-so or should interact with this person or whatever it is, and if you don't know if it's the Spirit or not, just just assume that it is and take a risk and find out. What's the harm? What's the worst that can happen when you tell someone about Jesus? They say no. The second thing is... is you've got to be in touch with people who don't know Jesus. You've got to be in touch with people who don't know Jesus. Here's something that, that breaks my heart as a pastor. Sometimes when I interact with people, I'll ask them a question if there's unbelievers in their lives. Not just neighbors or whatever, but like friendships, relationships. And oftentimes the answer is no. And then they tell me about their awesome Bible study and how great of a time they're having with the Lord, but yet they're not engaging in that. And I'm just like, that should not be. Because anytime you're on God's path, listen, listen carefully, anytime you're on God's path, God's path will always lead to people. That's why we're here. That's why we do what we do. In fact, church, listen, This sounds backwards, but the most selfish thing we can do as believers is to not tell people. This is the most selfish thing we can do. The problem is so many times we play the role of judge or jury instead of witness. And we don't see people the way Jesus sees people. There was a, 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 I won't share the story. No, I will. Um, I remember when I was a college pastor, I went to a university, a tech school, and I wanted to start meeting students there. And I was sitting in the cafeteria, not knowing how to do it. And I just started to do this. I was like, "Lord, is there someone? Someone, show me someone that you know I can interact with." And there was this guy sitting, um, having lunch around like a little square of couches. And I felt this little nudge, like maybe I should go sit by him. And I was like, "I don't know if that's just my ambition or the Lord. I'm not sure." And it took me a while to finally muster up the courage to go do it. So I finally went and sat next to him and it was the most awkward greeting ever. Like I just plopped down and he looked at me and he was like, I said, hey. He's like, And he went right back to it. And I saw a guitar pick. And I went, hey, so you play guitar. And that opened up a conversation. And then I would show up, you know, like once a week. And he would be at the same spot. I'd be at the same spot. And next thing you know, we formed a relationship. And I would teach him how to play guitar. And over time, that guitar lesson turned into a quasi little Bible study. And then within nine months, this individual by the name of Nick gave his life to the Lord. But it was just learning how to be intentional and to listen and to move towards people and to see people way that Jesus sees people now I wish that was the norm I wish I did that all the time but we are in a season as a church where we're gonna choose to strip it all the way back down to basics and go church this is a football so here's the challenge that we're giving to everybody at Austin Oaks Church from now till Easter we want you to take a risk Invite someone, talk to someone, build a relationship with someone who doesn't know Jesus. Pray that God would begin to open up these conversations. And what we want to do is we want to collect some of these stories. We want to hear this. And we're praying and hoping that there's 100 people in this church, just 100 of our 1,100 people that people—that'd be willing to say, yep, I'll take a risk. Because I'm telling you, once you do this, you're going to start to discover how fun and exciting it is to follow Jesus this way. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is always true. It always brings us right back to the heart. And Father, I, I, I know that apart from your spirit, the motivation to share the gospel will fall flat our ambitions for it will be misplaced. And that's why I pray what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, that it was the love of Christ that compelled him. Lord, I'm asking that your love compels us. That we don't see this as a duty, but we see it as a joy. Lord, I'm asking that you would do something in our midst that only you could do. Father, I pray for us that you would start to put people on our hearts and our minds who need to know about you and that we would take the courage and the risk to just simply witness about you, to tell people about what we have seen and heard and experienced. And we'll leave the rest to you. But Lord, thank you that you've given us the spirit and the power to be able to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name.